We've talked before about haunted video games, or how open world games are becoming too smart. This time, we're going to talk about it again, and I've brought proof. And then we finish Insanity Week by taking a look at the story of Mike Madman Markham. Is it possible that a young man goofing off on his porch with a few scraps of electronics actually built a working time machine today on Dead Rabbit Radio? Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. we got a ton of stuff to cover, so first off... Coming into Dead Rabbit Command in his own personal Pope Mobile. It's all decked out, has the bulletproof dome. I'm testing it, I'm shooting at it. It's Father Doobie. Everyone give a round of applause to Father Doobie. He's waving from his Pope Mobile. Father Doobie, step on out of that. Step on out of that protection, even though I still have a gun aimed at you. You're gonna be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon, or if you don't have a pimped out car like the Pope, that's fine too. Just help spread the word about the show. Really, really helps out a lot. And look at this cool Fan Art Friday. We got something different today for Fan Art Friday. I got this from the Patreon Discord server. This is from Little Gray's Destiny 2 clan. The Dead Rabbit Society. Isn't that dope? Look at that little flag that he made. Aww, I want to see a bunch of dudes running in a battle with that logo. And, oddly enough, he, he posted this on Discord. I don't know if he was planning this. Look how many members are currently in the clan. Spooky. If you're driving, you're like, you're driving and you can't look at the cover art. It's 13. There's 13 people currently in the clan. He's playing on Xbox. So if you're into Destiny 2, he's like, dude, my clan's going to get overrun. If you're into Destiny 2 and you're playing on the Xbox, or I think clans are... I don't play Destiny 2. I don't get to play anything. But if you do, maybe Lil Grey, maybe you'll be part of this clan with that dope... Look at that. That's dope. Those are the battle flags, apparently. I don't know if like on they're on the shoulders or something like that. I don't know anything about Destiny 2 other than that I'm now in it. So thank you, Lil Grey. Father Doobie, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the oars to the Dead Rabbit rowboat. We're leaving behind Dead Rabbit Command. We are headed out to a little coastline in the middle of Minecraft. Splash. Splash. I don't have time to play video games anymore. I really, really like them, but I just don't have time to play them. So I'll read a lot of video game websites, video game magazines, because I like the culture, and I watch video game streamers. I watch Ohm Record do Dead by Daylight. I watch a lot of Minecraft streamers, Dream, Bad Boy Halo, George Not Found. I really like Fruit Berries. I think he's the most clever Minecraft player. And recently he was taking on Illumina, who is arguably the best Minecraft player in the world. Don't let your eyes glaze over yet. I know this is like your nephew has cornered you at Thanksgiving and it's telling you about Minecraft. Unlike him, I have a point. This, this story actually goes somewhere. I was recently watching this really bizarre video clip. It's going to be in the show notes, and I know most of you guys can't stop what you're doing, like driving or working, to, to watch a Minecraft stream, but it's queued up. It's in the show notes. You click on it, it'll take you right to where it's going on. This is a server. This is a private server. The only people in the game are Illumina and Fruitberries. Illumina is digging for treasure, and he's afraid at any point, because this is competitive Minecraft, that Fruitberries is going to sneak up behind him and kill him. So he's looking around. He's trying to watch his six while he's digging for this treasure. He turns. He sees Fruitberries in full enchanted iron armor. Again, do not let your eyes glaze over just yet. He, he sees fruit berries in full enchanted iron armor jump into the water behind him. Now, this is going to be bad news for Illumina. He's not ready to take on full enchanted. 
But then the video cuts to fruit berries. He's underground mining iron. And the camera actually, because you can change the camera angle in Minecraft, we see a view of fruit berries. He has no armor at all. He's wearing his default skin. Now, Illumina goes, uh, did you just jump in the water? Because they're playing like this game basically of hide-and-go-seek. And Fruit Berries is like, what? No, not me. And it's kind of coy. But we, as the audience, saw someone jump into the water. Illumina saw someone jump into the water. This is a private server with two players on it. There was a third player in full enchanted iron armor jumping into the water. I've watched this video over and over and over again. I've done the slow motion. I actually was taking screenshots of it and magnifying it. This person, this character should not be here. It is not Fruit Berries. There was a third player there. There was no third player on the server. Someone in fully enchanted iron armor jumped into the water just as Illumina turned around. And it's not like they go at the end of the video, whoa, who was that? Was this some sort of spooky thing? They talk about it briefly, because again, it's like hide-and-go-seek, so Fruit Berries is thinking if Illumina's confused, that's totally fine. But it definitely was not Illumina, and it definitely wasn't Fruit Berries. Who or what was this thing? If it was a LARP, they would have kept bringing it up. They would have mentioned it in another video. that's halfway through the video, they never bring it back up because so much of the game is to misdirection. But we see it too. You might think it's some sort of glitch. You might think it's a minor thing, and maybe it is. Maybe it is. But if if you guys are familiar with Minecraft at all, I definitely recommend you checking out the video and see if you can identify it. Because it is not one of the two players. It doesn't make sense. And this is what creeps me out about games like Minecraft. They are vast, infinite worlds. And when you're walking over the hills, who knows? Who knows what's going on underneath the ground? And when you're underground, who knows if another lone wanderer is traveling the world above you and you'll never meet them. They're not supposed to be there, though. You don't want to meet them. So check out this video. If you're familiar with Minecraft, I want you to check it out. If you're not familiar with Minecraft, ask your nephew... They'll talk to you about it for three hours straight and then watch this video. It is creepy simply because it shouldn't exist. It shouldn't be there in the video. There's another thing I want to share with you. This one this one actually works for our podcast. You're driving your car, you're doing your homework, you're like, Jason, I can't watch the video right now. It is queued up and it'll be ready to go when you watch it. But I do play video games when I get my two-week vacation from the show. And last vacation, I played State of Decay 2. That's all I did. I played... 50, 60 hours of State of Decay 2 in the two weeks that I had off. I got really used to the zombies and the maps and the AI of the characters, the AI of the zombies. When you really dig into a game for 60 hours over a short period of time like that, you really know the game. But it is an open world game. Stuff can always throw you a bizarre curveball. But not like this. I was on the State of Decay 2 subreddit and Itzu posted a question. Does anyone recognize this sound? And I'm going to play it for you right now. (laughs) 
That is not a sound that any of the zombie characters make in that game. At all. The scene is his character at their home base. It's nighttime. And you hear that bizarre creature sound. Now, I wouldn't be playing that sound if I go, Hey, that sound plays all the time. That's the sound of a barrel. That's the sound of a screamer. That's, that is not a sound that is played at any point in the game, State of Decay. One or two. What is that? Now, the obvious answer is some sort of unused audio file that got triggered. No one on the Reddit knew what it was. No one posted, no one recognized the sound on the Reddit either. But it could be some unused audio file that got triggered in this one person's game. When we have video games, when we have these sounds, even though they're monster characters in State of Decay, it's a zombie open world game. Those zombies have recognized the sounds. And the reason why they have recognized sounds and recognized silhouettes, they don't do things that are too unpredictable, so the player knows they're in the area. Every time a feral shows up, a certain sound is given. It makes it scary, but it also gives the player an edge. If the ferals made no noise, if you're just walking through a department store and then something, one of the most powerful zombies was on top of you, it wouldn't seem fair. So you have these recognizable sounds. This is not a sound in the game. This is not a sound that I experienced at any point in the 60 hours that I played. No one else on the subreddit recognized it. In real life, you can say, this is the sound of a dog. Ruff, ruff. This is the sound of a horse. <laughs> and that's true. Those are the stereotypical sounds that a horse makes. But a dog in an event, like a dog on a Ferris wheel is not going to make stereotypical barking noises. A dog going down the slide is going to sound different than a dog on a trampoline. You, you know what I mean? In real life, there's so many variables that'll change the way we make noises. But in video games, everything is programmed. A feral coming at you in the middle of a field makes the same sound as a feral in close combat at your home base. It is programmed that way. What is this noise? Was there something else in the darkness surrounding this space? Making that noise. What I'm getting at is that what if this sound isn't part of the programmed language? It's a new sound. It's developed this new creature type in the darkness. You're running this game thousands to tens of thousands to 20,000, hundreds of thousands of times, all these different players starting it playing it, stopping it over and over and over again. It's almost like a fluke in evolution. In this particular game, at this particular time, there was a new creature type outside the fort. One the programmers didn't create, but it formed itself and made that noise. And then when the game was shut off, this evolutionary fluke was deleted with it as well. And when you bring the game back up, it is back to its normal programming. Open world games are so fascinating to me. And I think with the computer processing power we have, and the more complicated these games get, the more realistic these games get, we're going to see more and more of these paranormal events 
inside our video games. There's also the chance there's also the chance that someone is going to come along and explain both of these very very easily to me. Someone goes, "Oh no, 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 that is this audio file. It was on this form and stuff like that." That's very possible. It's interesting when we're talking about computer-based mysteries. They are easier to find answers to. So I'd like you guys to kind of dig into these and see if you can figure out an answer for them. But as far as I can tell, these are both stories I've sat on for a while. I had I found the state of decay thing weeks ago. It's pretty much right right after my vacation ended. So I've been waiting to tell these stories. But um, yeah, and Itsu, thanks for letting me use the sound clip as well. Check these out. See if you guys can figure out an answer for them because I think it's just terrifying. And I think we're going to see more and more paranormal events in open world games. People are always talking about San Andreas, GTA San Andreas, having Bigfoot, having these UFOs, having these events, and they were urban legends. We may be moving past the point where they're urban legends and becoming reality. Father Doobie, put down that controller. I'm going to toss you the keys to the Carpenter Copter. We're going to leave behind this Minecraft world. I guess technically we went to State of Decay 2 after that, but we're leaving behind both of those. We are headed out to Stanbury, Missouri. <laughs> Father Doobie, land that carpenter copter at Stanbury, Missouri. It is 1995. The gin blossoms are pumping out great music. Third Eye Blind is doot doot doing its way around America. I think, is that too early for both of those bands? Actually, I think Pearl Jam was still the lead band. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. We have our flannel shirts tied around our waist our ripped jeans, and our long hair. We're walking through Stanbury, Missouri. We're about to meet Mike Madman Markham. Mike is currently in school. He's getting his degree in electrical studies, electrical engineering. You're like, geez, there's no such thing as electrical studies. He's not a supervillain. He's doing something with electricity. He's also a rogue inventor. So he's taking his two passions, putting them together, and he's building all these things at home. And one of the devices he puts together is what's known as a Jacob's Ladder. You've seen them, most likely in movies. There's two metal rods, and you have a little bit of electricity. And it goes up the rod. You guys have seen this a hundred times in horror movies. So he builds one of these on his porch, but what what he's using to actually make the electricity, to power it, he's using a laser from a CD player. And he's running this little test, and he's just watching the electricity. And he notices something different. He's obviously had experience with Jacob's Ladders before. He notices it's producing a bizarre haze as well. He said it's like when there's a hot day and you see the sidewalk kind of shimmer from the heat waves. He's looking at that. The Jacob's Ladder has formed this little vortex. And he picks up a metal screw. He throws it through the vortex. And it would disappear for just a half second, a blink in time. But then it would reappear sitting on the ground a few feet away. He looks at that and he goes, that, I must have not seen something right. That breaks all the laws of physics. He picks up another metal screw and he throws it through the vortex, disappears for half a second. And then reappears on the ground. He thinks, oh, I need to grab my camera. I gotta go grab a camera to document this, get a camcorder. But the CD player at that point catches on fire. So he had to shut down the whole experiment. What he thinks he's done is invent a time machine. He thinks what's happening is he's throwing the metal screws through the vortex. And the reason why they're disappearing is they're moving forward in time and then teleporting as well to another location. 
he goes, okay, this is dope, right? I broke the laws of physics. I've invented a time machine. What I need to do now is make it more powerful. So he starts looking for ways to increase the voltage of this thing. I mean, he's using a laser from a CD player. He decides he actually needs some transformers, some giant electrical transformers. They're $13,000 each, though. He can't afford to get these transformers. So he actually starts scoping out a local power plant and sees, you know, just laying around, just laying around, six transformers. They're each about 300 pounds, and he realizes, well, maybe I'll only need three of them. But when he's putting his plan together, when he goes to the power plant, he realizes, I'm just going to steal all six of them. Let's just take all six of them, and let's make this machine as powerful as possible. He takes these transformers back home, sets them up. He's getting ready to run this experiment. He basically wants to build a bigger version of this thing. But he doesn't have a lot of money. He doesn't have a lot of resources. He doesn't have enough money to throw parties. So one night, him and his buddies are over there. They're drinking beer. They're wiling out, as the kids said in 1996. One of his friends is jumping up and down on his couch and goes, Hey, Mike, go get me another beer. And Mike goes, Oh, you know, okay, fine. Just get off my couch, right? He goes into the kitchen. He gets him a beer. And then when he's coming back, the couch is gone. Mike's like, Where's my couch at? And they're like, what do, you, what do you mean? He goes, You were just standing on my couch. Where's my couch? Where did my couch go? The friends had no idea what he's talking about. And Mike goes, dude, you were just jumping up and down on my couch. My couch. Didn't you guys realize that I didn't have a couch? And none of his friends know what he's talking about. Mike thinks this is some sort of practical joke. But he realizes that, one, the couch is nowhere in the house. Two, the back door, the place where you could really sneak the couch out, is blocked by six stolen Transformers. And three... They never find the couch. He ends up hooking these Transformers up to this invention. And while he's powering it up, of course, something goes wrong. But not deadly wrong, just kind of funny wrong. He ends up knocking out the power to the entire neighborhood. The police are already looking for someone who broke in, who stole these Transformers. The fact that the whole neighborhood went dark... It's a pretty good idea that the perpetrator is there. And Stanberry is not a big town to begin with. So the police very quickly zone in on Mike, Madman, Markham. And they arrest him for theft. At this point, it goes from being a local crime story to major newspapers are picking it up. The New York Times ran an article about this guy. A young man who stole Transformers to build a time machine. There's a goofy, slice-of-life, person-of-interest story. People loved it. And it actually came to the attention of Art Bell, host of Coast to Coast AM, the granddaddy of all paranormal radio podcasts. Everyone will always be in debt to good old Art Bell. Art Bell invites Mike to call into the show. He wants to talk to him. He wants to talk to this young kid who claims that he invented a time machine. And Mike tells the story that I just told you. And it's funny, because it's a small town, Mike's arresting officer, the cop who caught him that day, also called into the Art Bell show and was talking to him. It was a really fun story. This young kid claims that he invented a time machine, knocks out the power to the city. That sounds great. It's a great prologue to any fun movie. And people really get behind the story of Mike. People recognize something of themselves in Mike. Just a guy who has a dream, but doesn't have the resources 
to make that dream happen. Because he's on the Art Bell show, people st- he gives that he's like, "Here's my phone number, guys. Call me. I want to hear all your ideas." Scientists are calling him and saying, "This isn't a good idea. This is why it wouldn't work." But he knows what he saw. But people believe in him. They begin donating money to him. They begin donating equipment to him. And he's actually able to start working on a larger time machine. He calls back in about a year later in 1996. He calls back into the Art Bell show and tells Art, listen, I'm about 30 days away from getting this machine working 100%. It's far bigger. Thank you so much to all the listeners who made this happen. I was able to afford a machine that will allow me to walk inside of. I'm going to try the time travel thing myself. And he said he actually changed it up a bit. Now it works on rotating magnetic fields. I will be able to time travel myself. He goes, I'm going to bring my phone with me too. So I'll still be able to contact you guys. And Arbel goes, let me know before you go in the machine. Because I want to be able to document the experience. I think it would just be a once in a lifetime thing. Or if the time machine works several times in one lifetime. Because you just keep going back and forth. At this point, Mike gives out his address as well. Uh, Come on down and visit. Let's chat. He's a very open guy. He's given out his phone number. He's given out his address. He wants to kind of make this a community-driven thing. But around 1997, people start to notice that Mike is gone. He's not responding to any correspondence. No one can get a hold of him. No one's heard from him. He's vanished. Off the face of the earth. The story goes that to this day, Mike Madman Markham is still missing. But after all of this happened, a listener called into the Art Bell show and told this story. He was going through old newspaper accounts and he found a mysterious death in the 1930s in California. A man was found crushed in a metal tube. It was unknown who the man was or how he ended up in this metal tube, squished. But the officers found an odd device laying next to the man. They didn't know what it was. But a modern-day person reading that article would identify what they were describing as a cell phone. Very, very interesting story about a man who was trying to invent something. And I found out about this from a new website. They might have been around for a while, but they've recently come on my radar called Planet Today. They posted this story. Thanks for posting that. I read it and I go, very, very interesting story, but I could already taste that there was something missing from the story. The ending. I go, that's not the true ending to the story. It's interesting because we have all this documentation. He was on Art Bell twice. There are recordings of him on Art Bell. You have to be a Coast to Coast AM Plus member to listen to them. They've been taking a lot of their stuff off of YouTube lately. But he's not a completely made-up figure for the internet. He actually did exist. We actually have documentation that he's working on this stuff. There's news articles about him working on this stuff. And then you think, well, he went missing. But that could be anything. Did he actually go back in time? I, I immediately dismissed the whole 1930s thing. And for from a narrative standpoint, if you guys are going to fake something, it would have been more interesting if before we even knew about Mad Mike Markham, if they had said, it's weird, in the year 1989, someone called into Art Bell and said there was a man squished in a tube and he had a cell phone. Because if time travel's involved, why would the call take place after 
might have disappeared. So just from a narrative standpoint, if you guys are ever trying to pull a hoax, it's better to add that layer of confusion to it because it makes it more legit. But I didn't buy that at all. It's not that I didn't buy the fact that he built a working time machine. I actually was still willing to suspend disbelief for that. But that was just too clean of an ending. So I really started digging into this story. When you look up Mike Markham online, you see a lot of forum posts about this. And there's a lot of theories about what happened to him. Because he actually did disappear. That is true. Theories are that it was all a hoax to begin with. None of this story was real, which we know isn't because there was versions of it in the newspaper on Coast to Coast AM, all of that. The government kidnapped him because they wanted possession of the time machine. The government had him killed because he knew too much. That he actually did time travel and he died, or he did time travel and he was successful. Those are kind of the most common theories going around. On my journeys looking into this story, I found a website called Paranormalists. There was a poster named Himalayan Hermit, who said, I don't know why this is such a big mystery. Nexus Magazine did a write-up on this guy. They found him. They, they know what happened to him. So I had to find this Nexus Magazine article. I can't post it in the show notes because... You have to pay for it. It cost me $1.22. It was one of the best $1.22s I've spent doing this show. I'll put the link in the show notes so you can buy the article. But we have an answer to this story. For years, for years, people had not heard of this guy since 1997, and that is where the story ended. And to this day, that Planet Today article was brand new. That's how they ended it. We don't know what happened to him. He was in this tube. Nexus Magazine solved the story of what happened to Mike Madman Markham. And it's it's awesome. Let's move on. This article is written by Jason Offutt. And I'm pretty sure we've covered him before because he's written about shadow people. He's written about black-eyed children. I tried going through my notes. I couldn't verify it. But I'm sure we've covered Jason's stuff before. He wrote this article in Nexus Magazine. It was volume 18, number 5. It'll be in the show notes. The to, to to buy the article if you'd like to. And again, I suggest that it's a really well-written article. Here's what happened. After that first interview with Art Bell, he moved away. He moved to Kansas City, Missouri. So all of his friends, everyone he knew in school, he'd moved away from them. So right there, that would explain one of the reasons why you could disappear so easily. If I went missing in my hometown, hundreds of people would wonder right away. They would have no they would immediately realize that something was off. But if I moved away, it could be weeks before it filters back to all my friends and family what happened. But he moves to Kansas City, Missouri. The other articles that were saying that he was getting donations to help build his time machine, this Nexus article goes into great detail. Someone gave him warehouse space. He got $10,000 in financial contributions and he, according to him, he's interviewed in this article. He is alive and well. He got millions of dollars worth of equipment from people. So he ends up building this massive machine in this warehouse. It's over 60 feet high. And he has everything he needs to power it. He turns it on and he creates this vortex. There's this tube. And it's five feet in diameter. And he's up on this cherry picker. And he's watching this machine activate. This is a life-size time travel machine. But he still has to test it. He's throwing metal screws through it. He's throwing items through it. Now he has to test it on guinea pigs. 
So he begins dropping guinea pigs out of a cherry picker into this vortex. Doesn't hit the ground. It just disappears. Throws another one in. Doesn't hit the ground. It just disappears. But he doesn't see him walking around the warehouse floor. He doesn't know where they're going or when they're going. He hopes they're not just getting vaporized. But he does start to notice out in the parking lot around the warehouse guinea pigs. <laughs> Little guinea pigs walking around the parking lot. So he's realizing that he's dropping them in and they're appearing outside of the warehouse. It's successful. This time machine works. I would say at this point, I don't know if you've necessarily invented a time machine, but you may have simply invented a teleportation device. Either one would be revolutionary. But he still thinks that when he's throwing these things into the vortex, that there is a period of time passing, and it seems to be relative to the size of the thing. That, that kind of is what his thought process is. And he's also thinking, sure, this works on metal screws, inorganic stuff. It works on tiny things like guinea pigs, but what about me? And is it painful? But he realizes he has to test this on himself. So one day he gets in that cherry picker. He goes up. It's a 60-foot drop from the top of that cherry picker to the warehouse floor. And he has to fall in a 5-foot-in-diameter cylinder. And he is thinking, okay, I'm not afraid of heights. I love roller coasters. I'm a big adrenaline junkie. However, if I panic and I hit the side of this thing, who knows what's going to happen? It's now the year 1998, and he's up in this cherry picker. It is time to test the machine on himself. There's no camera set up. There's no friends. There's no observers. Just a man, and even if there was, you think someone would try to stop him. But there's a man in this cherry picker, and he leaps out. And falls in towards the vortex of this massive machine that he has built. There's a bright flash. A loud crack. A thudding sensation. That almost knocks him back. He says it's like a flashbang grenade going off right in your face. It took him a long time to remember what happened. Mike is standing in the middle of a farm. He doesn't know where he's at. He doesn't know how he got here. He doesn't know who he is. Mike is standing in this farm with no memory whatsoever. He just kind of looks around just can't figure it out. He's in Fairfield, Ohio. The year is 2000. He is two years later and hundreds of miles away from where he started. Mike's time travel machine is successful. But he doesn't know it. He doesn't even know who he is. And because he has no memory of anything, he ends up making his way into the city of Cincinnati Barely scraping by, he ends up staying at a homeless shelter, taking on odd jobs, trying to make ends meet, and trying to remember who he is. And he starts piecing things together over time. He begins to remember who he is. 
He remembers a warehouse in Kansas City. He remembers what he was working on. Now, two years have passed since he jumped out of that cherry picker. He makes his way back to Kansas City, Missouri. The warehouse is empty. He said millions of dollars of equipment were gone. All of his logbooks, all of his notes, gone. He says, even without the notes, I could rebuild the machine. But you don't understand, this machine cost... I wouldn't have been able to do it without all of the generous donations of this equipment. And I don't remember who gave it to me. I cannot for the life of me remember who donated this equipment. It wasn't all from one person. Several people were sending stuff over, and I can't remember who it was. His memory never fully returned. He went back to Ohio, where he continued to work odd jobs, just kind of scrape by. He would also Google himself, look up articles, and he said one of the funniest things that he saw regarding this story was that some man was found dead in California, crushed in a metal tube with a cell phone. He goes, that wasn't me. I don't know who that was, but it wasn't me. When this article was written in 2011, Mike was alive and well, continuing to work jobs in Ohio, scraping by. And he would love to rebuild this machine sometime, but he is just worried on paying rent and keeping himself fed. And he ends the article by saying, listen, I would love to rebuild this machine. I remember how to do it. But right now I'm just struggling to pay rent, keep food on the table. It's a lofty dream. Maybe someday I'll be able to rebuild it. But for now, I have more pressing matters in the present day to deal with than to look into the future and see what may be. He didn't say that eloquently. He didn't say that eloquently, but he said that. That is the whole story of Mike Madman Markham. And it sucks that this version isn't out there. I think part of the reason why it's not is because of the paywall. Everything about that ending is better than the time travel. One, it turns out to not be a hoax. Like, if we trust him at his word, right? He totally made up this last version of the story. He's the only witness to any of it, but... The one where he goes back in time and ends up in the crush tube with the cell phone, it doesn't really... I guess on a sci-fi level, it kind of makes sense, but this version's better. Isn't this version... One, because it's a definitive answer. It's from the man himself telling the story. And it still has the elements of sci-fi. It still works and all that stuff. I think it's a better ending. I still have some questions about it, though. Why didn't he just call Art Bell again? That's what I don't understand. When I was reading the story, I thought, well, okay, this is interesting. It's a very fascinating story, and thanks for sharing it, Mike. But how come you didn't call Art Bell when you came back two years later? Even if it had been two years later. Imagine, like, if Amelia Earhart showed back up, and she's like, oh, they don't want to hear about me. Sure, I've been gone for 100 years, and I look just as good as the day I left. But I don't want to bug anybody. Like, he should. He should call Art Bell, or if he's still alive now, this article is from... 2011, he was 22 back in 96, so he wouldn't be that much older than me. Why doesn't he contact Coast to Coast AM? Why doesn't he contact me, actually? Well, he doesn't know I exist yet. Maybe he'll Google this. But, I mean, he could contact these people now and clear this up. It could just be that he's kind of over it. It could be that there's a little bit more to the story that we're not, we don't know about. Who knows? But that was my thing when I was reading the story. After I got done, I go, oh, he could, even though he doesn't remember the people who donated the equipment to him. Fair. That's fair enough. He knows Art Bell. 
and because he references him several times in the article. So why doesn't he call him up again? But that is a personal decision that Mike is making, and it could just be that he does want to build the machine again, but all the attention may have just been a little too much. Who knows? But for me, this was a perfect way to wrap up Insanity Week because we've talked about a lot of insane stories and insane people this week. This is insanity that becomes creativity. This is that type of insanity that borders on the line of world-changing genius. It takes an insane man to jump out of a cherry picker 60 feet off the ground, believing they will be safe and sound in a time machine that they invented out of, out of donated parts. But that's the type of insanity that helps people. That's the type of insanity that can actually change things. So I wanted to end Insanity Week on a high note. I wanted to cover someone who, yes, we, by all definition of the word, would say they were insane. But this is that type of insanity that the world needs, that drives the world forward. But you're also probably wondering what happened to all the parts, all the logs, all the notes that were in that warehouse. Well, someone cleared it out. It's possible the person who was leasing the warehouse hadn't heard from Mike and stopped paying the lease. And it was all taken off to the city dump. Or it's possible that a government agency was observing Mike's progress. They watched him jump into the portal and they realized this thing worked. So with his notes... They carefully disassembled this device and took possession of it. It's possible that they rebuilt it, but they needed to test it for themselves. A government agent got in that cherry picker, sweat dripping from his brow. They all saw that Mike disappeared into the vortex, but they don't know what happened. Was it successful or was he vaporized into a billion atoms? This agent jumps... And as he's falling towards the vortex, he panics. He hits the side of the metal tube. And both him and the cylinder that holds the vortex disappears in an instant. The government agents carefully disassemble the machine and lock it away. Maybe they can figure out its secrets some other time, but for now, it's too dangerous to even test. And what happened to that special agent? Well, in the 1930s, there was a crushed cylinder with a man inside of it. Maybe that wasn't Mike. Maybe it was one of the men who stole his time machine. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day. I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great weekend, guys.
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.